Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. The three-headed monster of rising inflation, product shortages, and labor challenges continues to wreak havoc on the food industry with little sign of relief on the horizon, prompting many consumers to shift their shopping habits and forcing manufacturers and food service providers to rethink how and what they offer. This is especially true within bakery, a labor-intensive category which has suffered high-profile shortages throughout the pandemic and the ongoing war between Ukraine and Russia, including grains, yeast, and other ingredients. These have contributed to high inflation. From data from IRI, estimates exceeds 15% in October over the previous year, just above the 13.7% year-over-year increase in total food and beverage. Despite these challenges, bakeries and grocery and specialty stores are thriving. According to the inaugural Power of the In-Store Bakery 2022 report released last week by FMI, the Food Industry Association, dollar sales of in-store bakery departments are up 14.4% and units, they're up 7.4% in the last year. The most popular items, according to FMI, are muffins, cupcakes, and cookies, with dollar sales climbing 24.2%, 23.6%, and 21.7%, respectively. Whereas the biggest losers includes pies, croissants, and wraps or flatbreads, which saw units drop 24.9%, 24.8%, and 11%, respectively. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Dawn Foods Senior Director of Insights and Market Research, Sarah Hickey, explains how this trifecta of inflation, product shortages, and labor challenges are impacting the bakery industry, both in food service and in stores, and how stakeholders are managing and overcoming each. She also shares shifts in how and what consumers shop for in bakery and how these are creating additional challenges as well as opportunities for bakeries in the new year. So, like many things, the pandemic changed how Americans consumed baked goods. No longer able to sit in cafes munching a muffin or carefully considering croissants in a case alongside cookies and cakes, as the smell of caramelized sugar at the local specialty shop enticed them to buy extra goodies, most people turned to their grocery store for baked goods. As Hickey explains, changes in technology also are shaping the experience of buying baked goods, pushing grocers and bakers to rethink not only what they have in stock, but how they market to consumers. COVID sparked behaviors that have really shaped and changed our industry. You know, I I don't love the word new normal, but this is kind of really what we're thinking about. And where we are today, and what I think about is one of the really big shifts is the where people are buying and consuming their food. So, you know, during the pandemic, this shift from food service as a, as a staple within their behavior to grocery um, has been a, you know, we saw those trends happening before more in-home eating occasions than what we saw from an out-home eating occasion perspective, but that's really shifted and accelerated, you know, as consumers kind of were forced into that uh, grocery environment or that retail environment, you know, during those periods of COVID, and those behaviors really shaped you know, kind of where we're going today. So, you know, if I look at 
uh, steady rises in our grocery data, both from a volume and from a dollar's perspective, it has grown double digits for three years in a row, right? So we aren't seeing consumers say, okay, now COVID has kind of opened back up. I can go mostly wherever I want to, specifically, you know, within the U.S. environment, and um, I'm going exactly back to where I was before. We know that food service traffic is still down specifically in those artisanal channels, uh, specifically in that morning day part behavior. Consumers have really adapted some new behaviors um, that are, I don't know if I see them returning to a different, a different place. So, you know, think about uh, the morning day part specifically, and I'll use uh, myself as an example. Um, you know, during COVID, my husband and I bought a very expensive coffee machine, and we started getting our breakfast muffins from the grocery store, and we realized, wow, these are really delicious. This is really good. Um, and even though I returned to the office a handful of times during the week, um, it's a behavior that's just kind of been established. And so that shift between food service and grocery, you know, we're really going to have to think about that as um, kind of the, the, the current state of the environment and that not, you know, really going back. Also, uh, just the rise in technology overall, how it's enabled us to deliver, order, to pay. I think that's another thing that I think of as kind of the state of the current industry. We saw Gen X and boomer consumers who had never um, experienced any of these digital aspects of their kind of consumption behavior before. Um, again, forced into it by necessity, um, but really embracing it now, finding ways that they actually believe that this is the most convenient way that they can have food kind of brought to them. So even if they're getting it from a food service establishment, are you going into that store anymore? Are you uh, smelling, you know, the deliciousness of the fresh baked croissants and then picking up that incremental purchase? You know, we really see our, our customers struggling a little bit with that. And how do we really tap into that impulse purchase in the same way if consumers are really relying heavily on technology um, for a way that for them to get their food and then consume it elsewhere? Another side effect of the pandemic that continues to linger is a shortage of workers, many of whom have not returned to the bakeries, restaurants, and food service establishments where they worked before shutdowns due to the pandemic triggered massive layoffs. According to Data Essential, almost 57% of food service operators are looking for labor-saving solutions, which Hickey notes does not mean having to compromise quality. One of the things that we have started to talk about and we have started to work with our customers on is the uh, trade-up effect from a convenience standpoint. Um, and convenience, not in the way of where we're cutting corners, the quality is actually better. Um, but Customers who may have been making uh, their donuts from scratch, introducing them to mixes and saying, hey, here is how you can get consistent quality in your item every single time, whether you're there yourself making it, and so maybe you're an expert in making that mix. Uh, cake is another perfect example. Every single time it's going to turn out every single way the exact same. But the, you know, the, the younger apprentice that you hired, the 17-year-old kid who's coming in and helping you after school, um, here's how to make it more consistent and more quality every single time. Because, again, traffic is down. So if the customer comes in and has a bad quality experience with those customers or with their experience with that food, they're, more, they're less likely to come back than they were before. And so we really have to help get that right in the same respect if you're using a mix. 
How do we help other customers embrace new items with frozen or um, with pre-established things? We really need to think about you know, those before felt like, um, you know, to the bakers of the world, like uh, cutting corners or degrading quality. They're looking at them really now as the ideas of ways to get to speed scratch, way to get scratch, but in a faster and more efficient way. And that's really a, a, a big push for us is to help our customers see that vision and really embrace that the quality isn't going to change uh, whether you scale the flour or we do. Bimbo Bakehouse also is working to alleviate pressures related to labor shortages by offering pre-sliced and thaw-and-served buns and rolls that can be used across day and meal parts, also reducing their upfront inventory investments. So for example, its brioche buns can be used for breakfast sandwiches, burgers at lunch and dinner, and even ice cream sandwiches as a dessert or midday treat. Hickey adds that baked goods and mixes with multiple uses also help alleviate supply shortages by simplifying inventory orders and sourcing. She adds another strategy for managing supply shortages is to leverage limited-time seasonal offerings, which consumers love and which lean on ingredients currently in abundance. I think availability also um links in my mind really from a connection of seasonality and how do we help consumers kind of, uh, which they're already excited about, but uh, get our customers more on that cycle of seasonality and, you know, you know, get onto that LTO calendar that's really aligned to what's, what's in season and available to them at that moment. And then how do we manage through that availability? Again, we're seeing supply chain um, issues start to level off, right? <laughs> uh, we're getting to a better place. But I think there's a way in which we can manage through those challenges to help our customers embrace a more um, seasonal way of, of, of offering things to them. And then that availability becomes a little bit less of an issue because they're, they're talking and, and providing value at the moment um, when hopefully supply chain, once we get back to a more of a steady state, is more available to them. The most stubborn and unpredictable challenge facing bakery currently is inflation, which after more than a year of growth at record levels not seen in decades, is finally starting to take a toll on shoppers who have until recently relied on savings to cover their costs, but no longer have this as an option and are starting to pull back on their spending. One way that Hickey says bakery departments can help shoppers manage inflation and continue to generate sales is to offer products with a lower price point, but which might actually have higher margins. We have to acknowledge that this is where customers are, and so that our, our customers, as well as us, we're going to have to pivot um, to help help meet the needs because we want to sell something. We, we need to sell something to them, and we want to be able to be a choice that they're able to make and bring that moment of joy to their day versus just say, like, well, we can't offer you everything because we're not offering you that highest quality option. We see those smaller indulgences kind of continuing to rise in, in these inflationary times. So you might not be able to um, afford to buy, you know, a six-tiered cake or a three-tiered cake for your for a birthday party, but you may be able to, uh, you know, afford a dozen gourmet cupcakes, and 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 that's going to really provide that value on those small individual focuses. Um, so those to me still remain the three biggest challenges that we know our customers are facing. And it's really about how do we provide them the best way to uh, meet the needs of their, of their consumers. 
going forward. Hickey adds that rising consumer interest in small treats as a cost-saving strategy is also one of the most exciting and positive trends that she's tracking for the new year. She explains that the emergence of quote-unquote daily delights also holds significant potential for bakery from a business perspective. I am the most excited about a trend that we kind of bucket around that we call daily delights. And it's really about this idea of small, more individual, really high-quality treats and items that consumers are enjoying more on this frequent basis, whether it be daily or weekly or three times a week. It's really kind of become part of their routine this idea of uh, bringing moments of joy to their every single day. Of course, the last three years have brought on a lot of stress. Uh, and people need an outlet that provides them that happiness and that joy. And, you know, what's more joyful than a cupcake or a donut every day? And this, this idea of almost returning to the dessert after dinner but in a different format I think is really interesting. Consumers, um, you know, they, we saw, we've seen that dessert go kind of go away for a while and now they're kind of bringing it back it's a resurgence of that moment but it doesn't necessarily have to be after dinner anymore it could be first thing in the morning it could be you know at their lunch break it could be right after work and um and so for consumers it's it's really they're gravitating to it because of that joy factor from a customer standpoint what we've seen is people are really excited about that because those are really high margin items for our customers right even in these kind of inflationary times, um, consumers are willing to splurge a little bit on these small individual treats, even though, you know, the cost per item might be higher than if they bought a dozen, you know, they're rewarding themselves. You can spend $1.50 or $2 on a cupcake as that little reward uh, for every single day. But if we can show them, back to our conversation about labor, how to do that in a really uh, labor-efficient way, Customers can charge more for these items, and they can really uh, get a high margin value and become more profitable um, in order to do that. So um, that that one area I am I'm really excited about because I think it's a potential for both the customer and the consumer, really that win win and profitability um, that I, I think I think can help. According to FMI, grocers and bakeries can encourage sales of more single serve treats by promoting freshness, which is a big driver of impulse purchases. With this in mind, the trade group recommends clearly labeling when products were baked and promoting their freshness in stores. Consumers' gravitation towards smaller daily delights also reflects a larger cultural shift to better support mental well-being and to be more mindful when selecting treats, like baked goods. So Hickey says that she's seeing this reinforced in related trends as well, such as a desire for clean label and more sustainable options. Mental well-being um, has really been at the forefront of a lot of conversations in the last couple of years. Again, they've been stressful, but uh, this wasn't something that didn't exist before the pandemic, but has been, I feel like, a little bit brought to the forefront. Um, And we're really seeing a shift to a more conscious consumer decision and a conscious consumer choice versus a strictness of what, you know, we would call a diet or a lifestyle where everything is a rule or a regulation to it. Um, you know, we've seen a ton of uh, information from, from, from even from the medical profession of, of the idea of, like, you might be the perfect weight, you might have the perfect eating habit, um, but you're miserable. And that's not wellness. That's actually 
unhealthy for you, right? The idea of living in this world of restriction and, you know, kind of a desire to never do anything bad, you know, again, you shouldn't be eating 17 donuts every single day uh, of the week, but to restrict yourself and to not have a more conscious evolution of behavior is, is not actually healthy or, or good for you. That blend of being more balanced in the choices that you're making and being more, um, again, conscious of it, right? What am I putting in my mouth? What am I deciding to buy or purchase at this moment in time? And how does that balance out throughout the rest of the day and what I need to feel good about my body, what I need to do feel good about my mental well-being, and, you know, and, you know, for the larger, you know, the environment, the world, all of those pieces coming into play. You know, it's actually, it's really interesting. You know, we did, we recently did a study and we asked consumers, what, is is better for you, right? A clean label product with more calories or a l- lower calorie product with more processed ingredients. And we saw 67% of consumers said clean label, more calories is a better for you item than, um, than less calories but more processed. And so I think that that really tells the direction of where consumers are going. We want people to start to embrace this idea of being mindful, being, um, being sure that they, they know the choices that they're making, but that those choices are the highest quality or the best level of ingredients. Hickey notes that delivering on this trend, however, is complicated by inflation as ingredients that are cleaner and healthier for people on the planet often are more expensive. So what people need or and or want and what they're able to afford is a constant struggle and balance that, you know, the food industry as a whole continues to struggle with. Um, you know, how do we get people what they desire from a wellness standpoint, not only for, you know, their own personal perceptions, but just kind of what's better for them as, you know, kind of serving serving the population. And then how do we get it to them in the most cost-efficient way possible? This is where we need some of those larger companies um, to continue to work to help to figure out what, how do we do that and how do we do it in a way that's affordable to consumers because, again, that's what they're desiring. Um, but I think the cost equation is, is the hard part that, you know, I don't think anyone's really figured out just yet. But, but that's, that's what we as an industry need to work on. Other trends that Hickey says are shaping bakery, which may be less sensitive to inflation, include rising demand for flavors and baked goods that are both familiar or nostalgic, but also can deliver new experiences or cultures without the high cost of travel. We've been talking about global flavors for a long time, um, but I, I, I see it even even deeper and further across the board. What we've seen is so we've kind of started to bucket them into um, cultural mainstreams, right? So that's classic American one, but um, Asian or sorry, Mex- uh, Hispanic and European are widely accepted kind of everywhere, right? So you could have you could buy a churro in every small town in America and consumers would know about it. You know, we see like 44% of consumers, you know, glo- you know, in, in in globally actually, even if you went to other countries saying that they've tried churros, they know them, they love them. So, 
there, those larger um, kind of what we would, you know, get called, considered to be mainstream flavors, we're looking to pull from. And so consumers have really, Mexican hot chocolate, another example, are really started to embrace those and kind of really start to be excited about them in a way that feels like it would just be as just as obvious or um, acceptable to have a trace leche's birthday cake as it would to be a white a white cake with chocolate frosting and uh, you know colorful sprinkles. Those acceptance of those mainstreams are you know aren't be, will not be slowing down, especially for the U.S. consumer, especially as we think about the demographic shift in our population over the next few years. Um, and then we think about the emergence of flavor in really interesting ways, Asian being kind of on the forefront of that development. So things like mochi, uh, matcha, those flavors are really growing where you see consumers getting, you know, the people who have tried them love them, becoming really excited about um, trying them in the future and becoming part of that um, becoming part of that uh, culture in, in, a few, in a few different ways. We also see this in Eastern European. We do a little bit of this um, today with our Punchki donut that's really regionalized in uh, Polish societies but, or in Polish populations within the United States. But we're starting to see that expand. You know, I'm starting to see Punchkis pop up in Texas where the Polish population is a lot lighter than it would be in, in, in Detroit where I'm from. Um, we're starting to see that global emergence of some of those flavors. And then the last one is um, African, which we're, which we're incredibly excited to start to explore even further. Things like a, we have a recipe on our website from a, for a Coke sister, which is a twist and a fried dough that has more of a ginger profile in its glaze. So it's a twist. Um, what we find really interesting and exciting is everything that we kind of just talked about is all fried dough. Every culture has their own version of fried dough. Um, but they do it in a slightly different way. So if we even take it back to what we had just talked about, about nostalgia, that's another culture's nostalgia, and consumers, even if that's not your culture, are really gravitating towards, well, I want to experience your, your nostalgia in my own way and look at it as, as exploration. And that melting pot, the true melting pot of, of, of global flavors, I think is really starting to emerge. The other one that I think as we see gravitation towards in the future is really the idea of this evolution of, um, of nostalgia with a twist when it comes to flavor. Um, and consumers really, we knew for the last few years, gravitated to, oh gosh, what, 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 makes me, what brings me comfort? I know you talked about this on some of your previous podcasts. How do we think about nostalgia and how do we make sure that it feels um, comfortable? But um, now they want it to be a little bit fresh, a fresh take on nostalgia, right? Um, and we see things like, you know, especially the holidays. The holidays are filled with nostalgia. Um, but things like not just hot chocolate, but Mexican hot chocolate, not just a gingerbread cookie, but a gingerbread cookie donut. You know, they're really looking for ways in which they can kind of take those enriched flavors and turn them on their head that bring a level of excitement as well as a level of elevation, right? Um, again, you might not drink a cup of hot cocoa in front of your coworkers. That feels, you know, a little immature potentially. Um, but you would bring them a Mexican hot chocolate cupcake for everyone in the office to try. I think taking that twist and uh, grounding it in nostalgia makes it a little bit more premium but also highly approachable, which is kind of that really interesting and cool balance, and we're seeing a lot of examples of that come to life. 
Well, in-store bakeries may need to expand or adjust their offerings to meet some of these demands for the more indulgent items and flavors from around the world, FMI underscores the importance of also providing the basics. In its report, it notes that most shoppers buy functional items like bread, buns, and bagels at grocery store bakeries, but prefer to buy indulgent items from specialty stores. Listeners looking for more insights on bakery trends and what consumers want from where can learn more by checking out FMI's Power of In-Store Bakery 2022 report at fmi.org. With that, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, I'm Elizabeth Crawford, wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.